dive in. Thank you, guys. Yep. Um, normally, I would start out by saying, uh, open up your Bibles to a particular passage, but we're actually going to be jumping around a little bit. Um, we had on our schedule initially to, we, were, we had planned to do a short teaching series right after Easter, which we just finished our, uh, the triple threat, and then we were going to jump into our uh, little mini-series on Acts, uh, continuing in on the story of the birth of the church. The, uh, today is going to be a standalone teaching. Before we jump into Acts, I wanted to share a few um, thoughts, I guess, that have been sort of uh, bouncing around in my head over the last uh, few weeks, I would say. This is related to the current moment. Um, what I want to do is, uh, is ask, uh, during our time, is to ask four questions um, that I, I believe are questions that everyone's wrestling with, that as, that as Christians, as believers who have built our life on the Word of God, that these are questions that right now we need to be answering thoughtfully, um, meaning we need to be real careful in how we're answering these questions, not hasty and not sloppy. We need to answer these questions graciously with some, with some uh, humility in our approach to answering these questions. And then thirdly, we need to answer these questions biblically. These are questions that uh, a lot of different people are wrestling with. I know you guys are wrestling with. I've had conversations with our own staff uh, in, in answering some of these, or talking through, I guess, some of these questions. So, four questions. Colossians 4, 5, and 6 says this. This is Paul speaking to a group of believers. They were relatively new believers. Paul says, Conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, meaning with those who are not believers. Making the most of the opportunity. So there's an opportunity. He says, I want you to make the most of the opportunity. But that will require some wisdom. And then he says, let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. So what Paul is speaking to is actually real similar to what we have now, and that is that there's a unique opportunity that they have to, through the things that they say, represent Jesus and his gospel. And what, what Paul says is that you need to have wisdom in order to do that well. It takes grace to do that well, so that you can respond uh, in, a, in a beneficial way to each person that you come into conversation with. So, four questions that right now, uh, even, I'm actually almost hesitant to say more than ever, because this is always true, but certainly the moment calls for this now. Four questions that we should be answering thoughtfully, graciously, and biblically. 
first question is on the topic of submission to authority. The first question is this, under what circumstances does God require you to reject the directives of those who are in authority? So you hear the question? The question is, under what circumstances does God require you, require that you reject the directives of those who are in a position of authority over your life? Peter, the Apostle Peter, who was uh, a political revolutionary, he was, uh, in all the story of Peter, we see these indications that he was just itching to see the, the rulers of his time, which was the Roman rulers, overthrown, right? Uh, that their oppressive government would be dismantled and that they would be driven out. That's Peter's MO. This is Peter speaking after he had reached a degree of maturity in his relationship with Jesus, he says this. This is in 1 Peter 2, 12 through 16. He says, I want you to keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, which are those who are not believers, so that in the thing which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God. And then he explains how. He says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to the king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him, as sent by God, for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. So what Peter is saying is that there, there is a group of people who don't like your belief in God. They actually have animosity towards your faith. Those people are looking for ways to slander you and to make you out as evildoers. That's what he says in verse 12. They're looking for an opportunity to malign your character and paint you as an evil person. And what Peter is arguing is that when you do right as a member of society, as a civilian, within the context of government authorities, he says, when you walk in humbled submission to those authorities, you actually close the mouth of those who would slander you. And furthermore, he says that when they see your good deeds, they then will glorify God. So, Peter is suggesting that perception... The way, that you're, the way that you answer the question, under what circumstances does God require me to reject the directives, the rules, the laws of those in authority? Peter says the, the way that you answer that is going to have a significant impact on your testimony as a believer. And he says you should know that there are people who are committed to the, to the, the contamination of your testimony, who are looking for ways 
to bring contempt on you. And that, but that is something that you should care about when you answer this question about when you should or shouldn't listen to government authorities. This is the same Peter who in Acts 4.19 was told, you cannot preach the gospel anymore. Acts 4.19, Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. So in that case, Peter was given a directive by someone in authority that required him to, to do something opposite of what God had commanded. And in that instance, Peter actually rules in favor of obeying God. So he made, he answered the question. This was a circumstance where Peter believed that he needed to reject the directives of those in authority. This is what I'm suggesting, is that as you answer that question, under what circumstances does God require me to reject the directives of those in authority? That as you consider that question, which a lot of people are answering that question right now in regards to mandates, right? In regards to requirements of how we interact with others, that as you respond to those directives, you, your public testimony matters. As you respond to those directives and decide, is God requiring me to disobey a directive? This is what I'm asking, is that you would be very thoughtful, not hasty, that you would be careful, that you would be gracious in, your, in the way that you approach your answer to that question, and that you would be biblical, that you would wrestle with the text of Scripture in answering the question, it is inappropriate to wrestle only with the Constitution or the law and then make your decision. Nowhere does the Scripture say you should submit to governing authorities unless you think that they're infringing on you. Um, it's a little more of a complex question than that. But when does God require me to ignore that? Answer it thoughtfully, answer that graciously, and answer it biblically. Go into the scriptures and dive in. Second question is on the topic of exercise of freedom. Here's the question. What is the biblical basis for determining the appropriate expression of freedoms? What is the biblical basis for determining the appropriate expression of freedoms? 1 Peter 2.12, again, this is Peter talking. This is Peter, the sword-wielding, let's, let's chop everyone apart, Peter. He says, act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves to God. So that one, I think, is pretty straightforward, right? He says, you should act as if you're free as a believer in your relationship with God. Act as if you're free, but don't use your freedom to cover for evil. Like, that... That, to me, is sort of like an elementary principle when it comes to uh, determining appropriate expressions of freedom. But then we jump into 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 10, this is Paul talking, and this was the issue, is that when you went to the meat market and you bought meat, some of that meat had been sacrificed in temple worship. And some of the believers had grown up in that temple worship, and they associated the consumption of that meat with that worship so powerfully 
that they really couldn't differentiate between the two. And so other people would come along, other believers would come along, and they would say, oh, it's not a big deal to me. I'm, I'm free in Christ, and so what does it matter? I'll just eat the meat sacrificed to idols. This is Paul, Paul's response to their expression of freedom in that way. He says, if anyone approaches you and says, hey, do you know that that's meat sacrificed to idols? Then don't eat it. Don't eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for conscience sake. And I don't mean your own conscience, but don't eat it for the sake of the other person's conscience. Why is my freedom judged by another's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, if I, if I take the meat, I don't know where it came from, I take it, I eat it with thankfulness, why am I slandered concerning that thing which I thanked God for? And then he says this. He says, that's not the issue. Here's the issue. Whether then you eat or you drink, whatever you do, do all of it to the glory of God and give no offense in what you do, either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things. And here it is. He says, not seeking my profit, but the profit of the many, so that they may be saved. Paul says, as a believer, you are free. You have freedom, right? But there is an appropriate expression of freedom, and there is an inappropriate expression of freedom. An inappropriate expression of freedom, in Paul's mind, is an expression of my freedom that two things. Number one, it causes some potential harm to someone else in some way, right? And then secondarily, it doesn't advance the purposes of God. It doesn't advance the goals of God. Uh, Paul says, when I make decisions about which freedoms that I will express, he says, I, I try to make, make sure to be very careful, to make sure that in the expression of my freedoms, I'm not causing another person harm, and that I'm, I'm acting in a way so as to advance the purposes of Christ, right? Um, Galatians 5.13, for you were called to freedom, but don't turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but from a place of freedom, love and serve one another. So here's the deal on this question. Question is, what is the biblical basis for determining the appropriate expression of freedoms? Here's the deal. If the end of the matter for you is, it's my freedom, therefore I will exercise it, then you are not operating from a biblical viewpoint because the, the Scripture actually requires other considerations. Yes, it is your freedom. You, you can assert your freedoms. Now, in our context, you can assert freedoms in a way that that could potentially bring harm to others or cause an offense to others. And if your only focus is on the, the maintenance or, or, or keeping a hold of your own freedoms, that's actually not a biblical view. Paul says there are other considerations to make in the expression of my freedoms. He says, I'm not saying that you're not free. What I'm suggesting is that in the context of that freedom that you would choose to freely prioritize others. Um, now, what that looks like uh, for you right now, 
I know there's a lot of questions surrounding what, uh, what freedoms we should hold on to, what freedoms we should fight for. Um, one of them actually that's been, that's been raised a number of times recently is in response to the command in Hebrews, do not neglect the gathering together of yourselves. It's also a freedom that we're afforded politically, and yet at the same time, uh, it's something that has been restricted right now legally. In answering that question, should I reject authority? What is the appropriate expression of my freedoms? What I'm asking is that you would be thoughtful, is that you would be gracious, and that you would be biblical in your view as you approach that question, that you would consider what the Scripture has to say. So the third topic, third issue, is the priority of economics. And this is the most complicated one for me personally, and I don't know if that's the case for you, but... Here's the question. How does a Christian weigh economic risk versus the risk of life or risk of health to others? Uh, we've been required to economically jeopardize ourselves for the sake of diminishing health risks. And I know that this is a, this is a tough one uh, for a lot of people. Um, and uh, there are two dangers in this question, and I want to deal with a couple of texts, but there are two dangers. One is, is that when we're harshly dogmatic in the way that we answer it, we actually kind of betray the fact that this is a very complex question, right? When I hop in a vehicle and I drive across town, I'm actually making, it's an economic convenience. It saves me time, which saves me money to get across town. But every time I hop in my vehicle, I am potentially risking someone else, right? Uh, in fact, we know that uh, vehicle fatalities are very high on the list of uh, fatality causes or causes of death in our country. Um, so there's a responsibility. So I'm, I'm weighing that, right? Economic benefit versus risk to my health or the health of someone else or the life of someone else. So for some, there is a harsh dogmatism um, that I, sh I shouldn't have to be concerned, or if you, if you do anything that risks anyone, then, then you're condemned. And I would say, well, neither one of those are realistic, and that's not even really how we live. Um, what I'm suggesting is that we weigh those things, uh, and even in our, again, we're talking about the way that we have discourse with the community around us, right, and the world, and each other, um, is that we would be thoughtful, that we would be gracious, and that we would be biblical. It's super fascinating to me that in Leviticus 13 and 14, um, there is an entire discussion about how to uh, treat contagious disease. And guess what? Do you know what the quarantine time frame is for that? Do you guys know what the quarantine time frame is? 14 days. In Leviticus 13 and 14, and it was not up to the person to decide for themselves if they were contagious. The priest was given guidelines to make a determination if the person was contagious. And if he believed, based on, the, it's all written out in Leviticus 13 14, if he looked at their, their skin disease and decided that this was potentially a contagious leprosy, 
then he was to quarantine them for, for seven days, check it, and if it still looked like it could be contagious, keep them quarantined for another seven days. At the end of the 14 days, a determination was made, could this person be brought back in to society, right, to normal function, or do they need to be actually quarantined all the way out of the camp because they were continuing to be contagious, at which point they were uprooted and moved outside of the city for the sake of everyone else's safety. In that same passage, there are guidelines for determining whether a home has growth in it that is potentially harmful to its occupants. And if that was determined to be the case, it was, it was similar circumstances over 14 days, they would destroy the home. Those are issues that have to do with balancing economic concerns with uh, health concerns. And all I'm suggesting is that as Christians, we should not, we should not blow it off and say, well, you know, only 60,000 people have died. So why are we all suffering? That's dismissive as if we don't care that these people have died. On the other hand, to say, well, if you do anything that represents potential harm, I would say, well, then you need to walk to work because that's, we all navigate risks, right? It's a complicated question. As believers right now, your non-believing friends are watching you and watching how your faith makes you different in your response to these issues. Be thoughtful, be gracious, and be biblical. Go into the Scripture and search and ask the Lord to guide you as you answer this question. Luke 16, 13, no servant can serve two masters. He'll eat will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God. So, uh, in Luke, he says basically that you can't simultaneously prioritize at all times both equally. One's going to compromise the other. Um, if you are a follower of Christ, that's going to cost you economically at some, uh, at some point in time. So, come to terms with that, right? There is a trade-off. Fourth question, and this has to do with humility of thought or humility of intellect. What ideals and ideas should Christians right now be confidently promoting in conversation with others? What ideas and what ideals should we be confidently promoting in our conversation with others? What things should we be pushing for? In 1 Timothy 1, this is Paul talking to his disciple who was a pastor. This, to me, reads as if it was just written recently. 1 Timothy 1, Paul says to Timothy, his disciple, he says, I want you to stay in Ephesus for a while, and I want you to instruct certain men that are there not to teach strange doctrines, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies, which give rise to mere speculations. So there's these men that are diving into sort of uh, intellectual trains of thought and ideas, ideologies, that he says end up really in the realm of speculation, and yet it's become consuming for them. And he says, which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God. 
They're actually missing the opportunity to join with what God's doing because they're wrapped up in these arguments. And then he says, but the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. That is, he says, what we feel we are compelled to, sh- to promote to others, to share with others, is the love of God, right? A good conscience and a sincere faith, meaning a faith that transforms the way that we live towards others, that changes the way that we do life, that we do business, that we do relationships. He continues on, verse 6, For some men, straying from these things, have turned aside to fruitless discussions, discussions that don't go anywhere, that don't lead to anything. Wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they do not even understand even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. Paul says there's people who are wrapped up in arguments, speculations, fruitless discussions that they approach with confidence that is unwarranted. They just have strong opinions. And Paul says you need to tell them to stop because they're actually missing the opportunity to partner with God in accomplishing God's purpose in this time by obsessing over things that don't matter and they have no control over. If you are spending right now, during this whole crisis, if you are spending more time on the internet digesting other people's opinions, then you are asking real people that you have direct contact with how are you doing and how can I help? You are living in a distorted view of reality. And that distorted view of reality is di- disconnecting you slowly from reality, which makes you irrelevant to the advancement of the kingdom of God. You need to disconnect from all of those those, those opinions and speculations and ideas that you're ingesting from a world that's coming to you from online, which isn't, it's a, it's a microcosm. If you're spending more time dialoguing on homework communications than you are with the people who live next door to you during this crisis, you are not only ending up with a distorted view of reality, but you're actually disconnecting from the real needs right in front of you that God has uniquely positioned you to meet, which will make you irrelevant to the advancement of his kingdom here in Homer, Alaska. The way that we join with him is that we look around us and we reach out to the people that are within arm's length and we say, how are you doing and how can I help you? How can I be the hands and feet of Christ in your life right now? And those opportunities are everywhere. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16, Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Make the most of the time. I'm not suggesting that there, are not, there is not evil at work in the world. I'm not suggesting we shouldn't have thoughts and opinions about it. 
but in the things right now that we're, that we're actively promoting to others. Include Jesus in that. And as you make those decisions about what conversations you're going to engage, make those decisions thoughtfully, graciously, biblically. We have this incredible opportunity to shine bright as the children of God. And that bright, shining light is the love of God in us. So I want to encourage you. I felt like probably about two weeks ago, there's been a shift, and I know this for me too, like I'm just tired of all of it, right? I'm, I'm over it. But it's not over. And although personally I've felt some weariness associated with navigating all of this, everything that's going on, it's still going on, which means the opportunities to join with Jesus in serving the people that he created and loves, those opportunities are right in front of you. They're right next door to you. Uh, Right now, they're literally everywhere you look. So I'm inviting you as you engage, that you would be wise in that engagement, that you would make the best of the time that we have, that you would be thoughtful, that you would be gracious, and that in your decision-making, that you would that you would build your decisions on the Word of God. So I'm going to close this in prayer. Uh, we're going to go into a time of, uh, we're going to do a couple worship songs. Drew's going to lead us in that as we close up. Uh, as I pray, uh, the questions uh, that we just went through are going to be up on your screen. I encourage you, if you're, if you're doing church online with some people that you know, engage those questions with them, uh, whoever you're with, uh, and wrestle through them uh, for yourself. Uh, but let's pray together. God, I do ask that you would give us grace. We want to be uh, linked with you. We want to be uh, in step with you. We don't want to look back with regret at missed opportunities to be a blessing. Uh, to be peacemakers, uh, to care for others, motivated by your love for us. So would you, would you give us the thoughtfulness, the graciousness, would you give us the truth that we need to be your ambassadors right here?